And I don't think some of us, when we get to heaven, realize just how serious the evaluation will be at the judgment seat of Christ. It is a time of rejoicing for many, but it is a time of regret for others. How do I know that? Because in heaven, the revelation says God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor at Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 14 of our study in the book of Romans and have been looking at how Christians ought to guard their behavior. God stresses the importance of this because our actions on earth and how they impact the overall church will determine what type of rewards we receive in heaven. As we return, Pastor Carl moves from Romans to 1 Corinthians and further explains the system of rewards. Hold your finger here in Romans and turn to the right to the next book over to 1 Corinthians, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is dealing with how a man, how a woman, how a Christian is to build God's church, that we're not to do it foolishly. And he compares two kinds of people. Those people who use worldly wisdom and techniques to build the church versus those who use the Word of God. My wife and I were just discussing yesterday of a dear pastor who's loved Christ and served faithfully. And it it seems like all of the churches in the city of Florence are being emptied out to go to someone else's church. And the church they're going to, the pastor's using worldly wisdom. Don't have to debate that. Don't have to judge that. On Christmas Eve, he rewrote the Ten Commandments. And Paul reminds believers... In the context, pastors, but you could extend it to every believer. Because while leadership is in the church, is in view here in 1 Corinthians 3, God reminds us in two other passages, in 2 Corinthians 5 and in Romans 14, 12, our text this morning, that this is a judgment every Christian faces. And since the church is not a building, but people, and you are a member of the church, as a member of the church, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds upon it. Paul reminded them, look, I laid the foundation. How did he do that? You learn from the Acts of the Apostles. He was the first to bring the good news to the Corinthians. He preached the gospel. They were saved by their faith in Christ. He laid the foundation for a church to be built. And the foundation, of course, is the most important part of any structure because the size, the shape, the strength of the superstructure depends on the foundation. And someone's life and ministry may seem to be very prosperous and big, but if the foundation is faulty and if the building materials are poor, in the end, it is going to fall apart. And many a church has grown using worldly techniques or it's grown on a personality and it all comes crashing down as we just saw in the northwest part of our country. So God wants us to be wise. 
And some of us know this text so well, there's, it's been a long time that we've stopped and done some personal evaluation. And we would be lot wise to hear what he has to say. Look at verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The church is not built on a man, it is built on Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So as Christians, some believers are using gold, silver, and precious stones to build their life, to help build God's church, and they are building a magnificent temple. Other believers are using wood, hay, and stubble, cheap, temporary, transient, combustible materials. And there's a stark contrast between the two. Gold, silver, precious stone represents something that is precious, magnificent, beautiful, valuable. Wood, hay, and stubble, something that is cheap, ordinary, temporary. But here's the point. Some are using good materials. Some are using poor materials. And the day is coming when God will evaluate. God is going to evaluate your service, my service in the local church. The verse says the fire will test the quality of each man's work. God's concerned with the quality of what we do. What would you rather have, a dump, load, dump truck load of hay or a handful of diamonds when tested with fire? I'd rather have a handful of diamonds. In fact, I'd rather have a bucket of diamonds. So while God's interested in quantity, he's also interested in, uh, in quality. He's also interested in quantity. And so he says, as he writes to Timothy, who was intimidated in his day as a pastor. And he's saying to Timothy, look, stay the narrow course. Doesn't matter what all these other preachers are doing. You run according to the rules. Doesn't matter how impressive their ministries look. You run according to the rules. And he says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 5, and also if anyone competes, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. No one is crowned Timothy unless he plays lawfully. And if you break the rules, even though it may look like you're coming in first, the first will be last, as Jesus said. And the judgment seat of Christ is a place where God looks not simply at quantity, but at quality. He will scrutinize your service. And if what you did, you did in the energy of the flesh, it will be worthless in that day. The judgment seat of Christ someday will bring it all to light. Let's read those verses again. Look again at verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you're not saved, then you're building on the wrong foundation. And the most important thing you could do before you leave today would be to get your life right, to know that heaven is your home and that all of your sin, past, present, and future has been forgiven. But with that said, if you are a believer, if any man builds on the foundation, the Lord Jesus, with gold, silver, precious stones, again, beautiful, very costly things, then this other category, wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become evident. It is to be revealed. It is to be tested, you could render it, with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. That is whether it's of the quality of wood, hay, and straw or of the quality of gold, silver, and precious stones. Now look at verses 14 and 15. If any man's work, which he has built on it, the foundation remains, that is, it's able to withstand fire. And by the way, this is not purgatory. It's not the persons who are burned. It's the works that are burned. 
If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. This is one of the most sobering texts in all of the New Testament. I don't know how much or how often you think about it, but it's important to think about it because many Christians have concluded, well, since I'm saved and I'm, I'm on my way to heaven and I have a place promised for me, it really doesn't matter how I live. And they think, I'm not going to give an account since all my sin is forgiven for the way I've prayed. I'm not going to give an account whether I've tithed or not. I'm not going to give an account for whether I've served. I'm not going to give an account for whether I've sacrificed. It will make no difference because I am saved and I have a place promised for me in heaven. And my friend, this text teaches us, among others, that there is coming a time of evaluation called the Bematos, the judgment seat of Christ. If any man's work... Verse 14, which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. You know, some Christians in their ignorance think that heaven will be the same for everyone. But the Bible is clear that while heaven is a wonderful place for any who attends, it will not be the same for everyone. There are degrees of rewards. Now, God says here, each one, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 8 of chapter 14 of Romans. Each one of us. I can't receive your reward and you can't receive my reward. We will be judged according to our own labor. Jesus at the end of the Bible says, behold, he's getting our attention. Behold, I am coming quickly. That means suddenly could happen today. You could die today or Christ could come back today. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. He said it this way in Matthew's gospel in the 16th chapter. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father and of his angels and he will recompense every man according to his deeds. Now, you're not saved by works. Your works do not take you to heaven, but the Bible is very clear that your works will follow you to heaven. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That verse makes absolutely no sense at all, a verse written to those who are born again if heaven is the same for everyone. It would make no sense at all. But we will see things differently in the judgment seat of Christ. Things that look important to us now will not be important to us then. Now let's apply this passage of Scripture before we leave. Let me give three applications as we close. Three truths that I've already covered, but I want us to think about them this week. First, if you are saved, someday you will give an account. Don't miss that. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon, realize that even if you are saved, someday you will give an account to Jesus Christ in heaven. And remember the context in which Paul is using this reminder in our text this morning. He is saying, in essence, may I remind you who are judgmental in criticizing your brothers and sisters with contempt in some of these gray areas. Some of you who are looking down on your brothers, remember that someday you will be looking up to Jesus Christ. He says here in the middle of verse 10 in our passage, for we shall all, I have that word circled in my Bible. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. Everyone who names the name of Christ, it is going to be an awesome moment for each of us. 
Second, I learn, again, we've covered it, but if you are saved, someday God will, will evaluate the quality of your work. He will look at why you did what you did, and He will reward you accordingly. If you are saved, someday Christ will evaluate the quality of your work so as to reward you. Again, it's not simply quantity that's important because that represents months and years of service. But it is also quality that God has in view. Paul, when he comes to the next chapter in 1 Corinthians, will make this statement. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. And if you know the context of that verse, some of the Corinthians were trying to judge the motives of people. I can judge the actions of a person, but I cannot judge the motive of a man's heart. Only God is given that privilege. Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Understand the judgment seat of Christ has absolutely nothing to do with education, with notoriety, with your position in the church, people that no one has ever met, Names that they've never heard will receive reward after reward after reward. And some people's names that are household words will receive nothing because it will all be burned up. And some won't even be there. Now remember, again, this was a raised platform in the first century. And when two athletes competed in the game and a judge stood on the bamatos, the judgment seat, He would give an award to one person. The other person wasn't beaten. He just didn't receive a reward. Remember Paul, when he comes to the end of his life, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, again, it's a future evaluation. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos that coveted crown, but it won't be a temporal laurel wreath. It will be an eternal crown that he will award to me on that day. And not just to me, but to all who love his appearing. And by the way, one way in which you know whether you're living under the lordship of Christ is in your heart, there's a yearning for Jesus to come back. You're living with his appearing in view because if you live as if he could come this afternoon, and that's what the early church did, They lived like he died this morning, rose from the dead this afternoon, and was coming back tomorrow morning. They lived with a sense of expectancy. And if you live with that, it will affect the way you live now. And so they understood this was a picture in their minds that this was a place not just of punishment, but of reward. But it's a serious place. Again, in 1 Corinthians 3 that I just read, if any man's work which he has built on it remains he shall receive a reward. Paul knew that many of God's people would be rewarded, but then he again makes that sobering statement, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, not a loss of salvation, but a loss of reward, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. What does that mean, saved, yet so is through fire? Remember, again, the foundation is Christ. And if you've built your life on the foundation by receiving Him as Lord, the foundation remains. Even if the wood, hay, and stubble is burned up, the foundation is still there. But some Christians will be saved but singed. 
they'll get into heaven, as one preacher used to say, with their uh, tailcoats smoking. And I know what some people think whenever you preach on rewards. They say, I don't really care. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be there. And if God even has a little old log cabin over, over there for me in the corner of glory, I'll be happy to be there. And I want to tell you, you won't think that way. And if you are thinking that way, maybe you've never even had been saved where you have a regenerated mind. Well, that's a dangerous way for any person to think. I told you an illustration years ago. Think of it this way. You're a person who invests everything in the temple, in your home. Everything that you live for is in that house, that uninsured home. You put all of your banknotes, all of your gold, all of your silver, all of your cash is stuffed in the mattresses. It's the finest, most magnificent home one could build. And you wake up one night and you begin to cough in the thickness of the smoke. You wake up your wife. She screams, go get the children out. You run down the hall. But there's a wall of fire between you and the children's room. You turn around. You begin to run back to your wife's bedroom but there's another wall of fire and you see the roof collapse and it is so hot, all you can do is dive out the window to save your own skin. And the house caves in and you hear the shrieks and the moans and the groans of your children and everything you live for is burned up. Now you wouldn't get up off the ground with smoke in your hair and embers on your clothes and scorched pajamas and say, well, hallelujah, I'm saved. I've survived the fire. Let's go celebrate. No, you would be saved, but sins. You would be saved, but you would suffer loss. And I don't think some of us, when we get to heaven, realize just how serious the evaluation will be at the judgment seat of Christ. It is a time of rejoicing for many, but it is a time of regret for others. How do I know that? Because in heaven, the revelation says God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Now, with that said, while there is a measure of remorse, I don't want you to think that that is the enduring emotion throughout all of eternity. Maybe a good way to think of it would be like a commencement exercise. I recently went to my son's commencement where he graduated. And the spirit of the place was there was joy in everyone's heart. There was a sense of accomplishment. All of those graduates received their diploma as they marched down the aisle. No one was weeping. But I'm sure in that place, in some people's heart, there was a sense of, of remorse. I could have done better. I, I partied too much, I goofed off too much, and now I've sacrificed the opportunity for graduate school. Or I, I missed the job I really wanted to get. Now to overdo the sorrow of the judgment seat of Christ might be to make heaven like hell, but to underdo it and to speak little of it is to really not be faithful to what God has said in His Word. Maybe a good New Testament example that Peter gives us would be that of Lot. Lot, if you remember, chose a piece of land that the Bible says was like the Garden of Eden. He and Abraham were up there on that plateau, and he looked down, and he saw a piece of land that was like the Garden of Eden. And of course, I'm sure they heard the stories all the way back from Adam of what a magnificent place it was. But he went after a worldly place. And he started on the outside, on the skirts of the city, where he placed his tent 
but before long, he was immersed in the city. In fact, he became a ruler at the gates. The New Testament tells us Lot was a righteous man. That is, positionally, he was saved. You will meet Lot in heaven someday. But Lot, because of his compromise, he lost everything he lived for. And in essence, he lost even his own family. His wife ended up dying, Jesus affirms, and went to hell. And his daughters lived wicked lives. God alone knows where they were. And you may be here this morning and think, look, if I want to smoke a cigar, no one's going to tell me. If I want to have a glass of beer, I don't care what anybody thinks. And Paul says, there's coming a day, my friend. Come back. I'm not done. There's coming a day when some of the things that we think we have the freedom to do in Jesus, it's going to matter to us. I'm telling you, just as sure as I am standing in this pulpit, that God will look at everything I've done, and I will encourage stricter judgment because God has called me to be a leader in the church, and God has given me the privilege to invest the best hours of my day in the kingdom. But your work, whatever it is, is no less spiritual. Whether you own a business or you're in the construction or an attorney or a physician, God is going to look at everything that you do. And if it's tempered through Scripture, it will be done to the glory of God and with an eternal purview in mind. Some of us, you think you're doing me a favor because you come here and you sing the hymns and you give your money and you listen to me preach. You do that week after week after week, but you never pray for this church. You've never thought about some lost soul, whether or not they're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. You say, well, I believe that. But when was the last time it was in shoe leather when you reached out to someone, even invited them to the church? Some of us have no intention of ever tithing. Some of us have just made up our minds. Some of us have reached that era of retirement and we think like the culture is teaching us it's just a time to play you're living your life but you're not investing your life here's the thing and it's wonderful when you consider it it's not like god says well you're saved by grace now unconditionally love now i'm putting the standard on you of works no the one who saves you by grace wants you to live by grace the God who works in you, it is God who is at work in you to work out your salvation, is simply looking for an available person. You see, the available person, the yielded person to the Lordship of Christ, God begins to prompt him and lead him and show him what he wants him to do each and every day, each and every week, each and every year. And in eternity, God rewards him for it. He's looking for people who are available and yielded. He'll do it through you as you are yielded. And in eternity, he will reward you for it. The eyes of the Lord. The chronicler says, moves to and fro through the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Finally, if you're not saved today, you will stand before Christ, but in a different place. It will be a place of condemnation. Not to evaluate your service, but to condemn you for your sin. And if you die and go to hell, it won't be God's fault. It will be your fault because you rejected what he wrote in this book. 
Please don't misunderstand me. I have not been speaking this morning primarily about redemption. I've been speaking about rewards. I've not been speaking about salvation. I've been speaking about service. We've been speaking about service, especially as it relates to the way we relate to one another as believers and the way we treat one another. And Paul said, you're going to give an account for that someday. But you can do nothing to merit heaven. Don't think for a moment you can work your way there. Salvation is the gift of God, but it costs God His own Son's blood. And if you ignore that blood and you trample over that blood... You will remember in eternity this sermon on this day and this preacher inviting you to come to Christ. He receives sinful men. And I am telling you, just as sure as I am standing here, whether you are saved or lost, all of us will stand before Him. Some in our sin and in condemnation and others where He will indeed evaluate our service. Behold, I am coming. I am coming quickly, He said and my reward is with me. Now, Father, thank You for Your Word this morning, for the truth that You've given us. I pray today for some dear soul who is here who's not really sure about their eternal destiny. They want to go to heaven. They hope they will, but they don't really know. And they're uncertain because Your Word teaches they've not rested and trusted in the finished work of Christ. My friend, if that's you, I want to help you today to come to Christ. Would you right there in the quietness of your own heart say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. In word, thought, and deed, I've done evil. And your word says that my sin deserves death. But I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and died instead of me. And that you were raised for me, that I might find forgiveness if I would call upon you. You said that if I would come in faith, believe in your word, that whosoever will may come, that I could be saved even today. My friend, salvation is not a gift. It's not a reward that you earn. It's a gift that you receive, but you have to receive it that way. That's humility to say you're bankrupt. Would you say quietly there in your heart, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you have saved me, I will make it public. I will come down this aisle this morning, not ashamed of Him. Now, Father, help those who have met Your Son. Help me, help each one of us to be reminded today of the seriousness of this coming evaluation. You've put this in the pages of Scripture not for our entertainment, our intellectual stimulation, but that it might change our lives. So help us to do some careful evaluation this week that the years, maybe months, maybe even days for some that we have left might be invested for the glory of Jesus, that whether we live or die, we live for Him. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in Your holy name. Amen. To even be eligible to be rewarded by Jesus Christ in heaven, you must have put your faith in Him and in Him alone, unknowing that there is nothing you can do to save yourself. Have you made that decision? To listen to this or any of the messages in the Roman series, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also call and request Guarding Our Behavior, program ROM66, on CD or DVD. Our phone number is 877-787-7478. And be sure to check out Dr. Brogy's wife's Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, found on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms or at searchthescriptures.org. Rare But Real is focused on how to be a godly woman in an ungodly day and age. Tomorrow we begin a look at the Brotherhood of Believers. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.